Well, good morning. Welcome to Harvest. So glad you're here worshiping with us today. My name is Pastor Micah, and uh, today we're going to dive right back into God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and follow along that way as well. So we have been the series uh, throughout the fall here uh, called Upside Down Kingdom, and we've been walking through just kind of verse by verse um, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and, and what he's trying to teach us as disciples uh, who are supposed to be following him as citizens of his kingdom rather than maybe citizens of this world alone. And uh, we're actually, today is going to be the last sermon in this part of the series, and then after today we're going to pause and do a Christmas series for December. Then I'm going to do a little uh, series in January, and we're going to pick back up and finish the Sermon on the Mount in the spring leading into Easter, okay? Um, but before we get out of uh, this series, we need to hit one more passage today, and that's Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24. So go ahead and get to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be talking about investing for a future with the king. And... Uh, Jesus has some interesting observations and comments for us, some teaching here for us when it comes to finances and investing. I remember the first time that I was really exposed to the idea of investing uh, was in my microeconomics course in high school. And when, I don't remember much from that course. Um, there was a lot of uh, horseplay and, and flirting, I think, that was happening in that uh, semester-long course. But I remember one thing that stuck with me uh, that the professor really hit in terms of, um, of, fi of finances and investing was that there are three major components when it comes to investing. Capital, profitability, and time. Okay? So anytime you're looking at investments, you've got capital, what you're putting into it. Profitability, what's the return on investment going to be over the third option, which is time. And one of the things that he stressed to us in that class about investing was the most important of those three components is time. Because time is a limited resource. Once it's gone, you can't get it back. You can't somehow uh, speed up or slow down and get back the years that you missed on the front end. And so the, the key was start investing and start investing early, even if it's a small amount, because you have to have that time in order to get the major impact of your investment. And so time is a critical asset, not only in money and in finances, but in our lives as believers as well, because it is a limited resource. Um, as you start thinking about finances and investing in the financial world, if you've been around church very long, a big name in Christian finance world is Dave Ramsey. Uh, he has lots of great advice and um, a lot of, uh, lots of great teaching when it comes to finances. But there's one phrase that he tends to use a lot that has really stuck with me over the years. He says, um, if you live like no one else now, then you can live like no one else later. And his emphasis there is if you and if you don't overextend yourself and if you don't get yourself into all this debt and just live outside your means now, if you live frugally now and save now like no one else around you is doing, amen, okay, then you can live like no one else later because you can take that what you've saved and invest it and have plenty to live on in the back half of your life, okay? And that's true financially in this world, but it's also true, as Jesus is going to show us here, spiritually for us as believers. Jesus is asking us to live like no one else now spiritually so that we can live like no one else later in eternity. Okay? And it's all about how we're investing and how we're using what God has given us, not just for us and not just for now, but with a view to something greater in the future. And so here's kind of the main point today as we pull together 
Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Don't miss the limited opportunity to invest for your future in eternity. For believers, we need to understand that time is limited and we cannot miss the limited opportunity that we have now. We all have a certain number of days. You know that, right? God has put you on this earth for a certain number of days. He knows exactly how many that is. He knows exactly when you start. He knows exactly when you're gonna finish. You don't, but he does. It's set. You have a limited amount of time to use for his glory. We don't wanna miss the limited opportunity that we have to invest for our future, not here on this earth, but in eternity with Jesus himself. So with that in mind, look at verse 19. Let's see what Jesus has to say to us today. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we're going to be talking about investing for the king and for the kingdom, here's the first point this morning. Investing means to stop prioritizing possessions. Investing with the king means that we need to stop prioritizing possessions here on earth. When he starts in verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. When you get to into that do not phrase there, if you look into the Greek, it actually is even stronger than what the text portrays here. It literally means stop. All right? This is one of the most emphatic statements that Jesus gives us in the entire Sermon on the Mount. He says, stop. Like, whatever you're doing right now, stop it. It's time for a decisive break on this issue. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Literally, don't make a treasure for you. Okay? The, the emphasis there is not on the treasure. The emphasis is on the you part. Right? Don't make all your money, all your wealth, all your stuff, all your life, don't make it about yourself. You see, money is not bad. Money is not evil. Sometimes we get a bad rap for that as Christians, as the church, or as the, the Bible. Uh, people will say, well, the Bible says that money is evil. No, no, the Bible does not say money is evil. It says the love of money is evil. That's actually 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, it is through this craving, the craving for money, the love for money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The Bible's not down on money, okay? In fact, the Bible actually says a lot about money and how we should make it and how we should use it in a way that actually helps and glorifies the Lord and helps others. A couple examples of that, uh, 1 Timothy 5.8 says that we need to be making money and using it to provide for our families, right? So it encourages working hard. It encourages making money. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 talks about planning for the future and pre preparing for the future so that we don't come up short and so that we have what we need to keep going and not always be living, you know, hand to mouth, day to day. 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 4 says that we're also to enjoy the good gifts that God our Father gives us, that when he does bless us, when he does provide for us in many ways, that there are, there are parts of that that are meant for our enjoyment and meant for our good, and it's not wrong to enjoy those good gifts as long as it's balanced with Jesus' teaching here that we should not make it about just us. Jesus isn't challenging having wealth. 
He's challenging why you have wealth. Do you see the difference? Why, have you, why has God given this to you? Why do you have it? Why, what's the purpose behind it? Is the purpose of your wealth, is the purpose of God giving this to you, is it for you to be covetous or generous? Right? I think we all know the obvious answer to that question, but the underlying part of that is we none of us want to thank or label ourselves as covetous. Right? Like, well, I don't do like this person over here, and I don't do that, and I'm not always trying to buy this or buy that. We see coveting money isn't always about spending money. There's actually two types of coveting. You have the spender who says, oh, I gotta have the newest car and the newest this, the newest that, and I'm gonna spend, 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 I'm gonna buy all this stuff, buy all this stuff, even if I'm in all this debt, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. That's what we generally think about as coveting. That's the spender. But you can also covet money by hoarding it. I'm not gonna, I don't spend it, but I rank up the bank account and I keep it for myself and I have to get more in the savings and more in the savings and more in the investments and more and more. And I have to have this giant nest egg just in case one day everything blows up. What's gonna happen then? And I have to keep, keep, keep. That's coveting too. And Jesus says it's not supposed to be about that. It's supposed to be about you giving and serving and being generous. And one of the reasons he gives here, he says, don't store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Look at the text. It says, where moth and rust and thieves come and destroy and steal, right? He's like, if you're putting all your treasure in you and in the stuff around you, that's not going to last. Eventually it rusts. Eventually it, it falls apart, all right? Seems like today the stuff you buy falls apart even more than it used to. Can I get an amen from somebody, right? Like, I spent like five hours Friday replacing bulbs in lights that we just bought last year. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Moth, rust, destroys, right? Thieves break in and steal. It's susceptible. It's not going to last. The treasures that we take here on this earth are not going to last. That's what Jesus' point is. He says, don't invest there. He says, instead... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Invest your wealth not here in things of this earth, but in spiritual things that will matter for eternity. Invest not in earthly treasure, but in spiritual treasure is what he's saying here. What does that look like? How could you invest yourself and your finances especially? We can talk about time and all that kind of stuff. Everybody wants to always say, what about investing time? Yeah, we can talk about that. But Jesus, Jesus here is talking about money. All right, can we just clear that up today, right? So we're gonna talk about what Jesus is talking about because he's kind of in charge. Can we agree on that this morning? Everybody good with that? Jesus being in charge today? So here he's talking about money. He's gonna say something. He says, listen, invest it in a, in a way that makes a spiritual impact. How can you invest your money to build godly character in your life? How can you spend it and use it in a way that's actually building up a generous godly heart rather than a covetous heart? How can you invest your money in a way that's obedient to the Lord and obedient to his word rather than obedient to the whims of your heart or the culture around you? How can you invest your money in a way that's actually reaching the lost, right? What, what church can you give to? What organization can you give to? How can you invest your money even in your own neighborhood, reaching out to your own neighbors to show them the love of Jesus and invest the gospel in their hearts so that they can come to know him? How can you invest your money to make greater, deeper disciples? 
What church are you investing in? What ministry are you investing in that's helping people go deeper in the word with the Lord Jesus Christ? How can you invest your money in righteous deeds? Where it's no credit to you, it's no big banner, there's no big program, but you're using what you have to somehow bless someone else and to show them what it means for God to provide for them too. What, is it, what would it look like for us to use our finances in a way that we allow ourselves to suffer for the sake of Jesus? Right? Yeah, I know you owe me that money, but I'm just gonna let that go because Jesus is greater than this animosity that's between us over some debt that God will provide for me anyways. Forgiveness, kindness, mercy. These are all things that we can impact, we can grow in, we can show to others by the way we use our money. Jesus is saying, invest in that. Invest in heavenly spiritual treasure where moth and rust and thieves cannot destroy and they can't break in and steal. When you're investing in those things, you're investing, investing in things that are being put ahead of you into eternity in the presence of God the Father that he is protecting and that no one can touch. Permanent investment. And then he ends this little section with this phrase. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, whatever you treasure most is what your heart pursues. Whatever you treasure most in this life, whatever you value most, that's what your heart is going to run after. And as your heart starts to pursue those things, guess what? Whatever my heart pursues, I treasure more. And so it becomes this cycle, right? I have a treasure, my heart pursues it, and then because my heart pursues it, I treasure it even more. And then my heart pursues it more. And it becomes this cycle of stuff where my heart is constantly running after the things that I value most in this life. And that's not a bad thing. That's the way God wired us. The question is, what are you putting in that treasure spot? What are you most valuing in your life that your heart is pursuing? Is it the things of this earth? Is it the treasures around you? Is it the stuff that we accumulate? Or is it something spiritual that's actually going to make a difference beyond your last breath? I remember when Courtney and I first got married, um, like many young couples, we were set on buying a house. Like, like we had to buy the house. We, that, that, that's, like, that's when you're like officially married, grown-up, adult, responsible people, right? When you have a house. And so I'm like, we got to get a house. And so we set our hearts out to get this house. And within a, the first couple of years, we were able to find a house that we liked and, and purchase it. And of course, we ended up buying a house that was a little bit more than what our budget was because it had the, the better features and the more space. We're like, oh, it's just a little bit more money, right? So we can stretch ourselves. We can make this thing work. And, but what we didn't understand was once we got into the house, because it was a little bit bigger than what we had planned, um, that means more furniture you have to buy to put in the house. It means more electric and heating bills to heat and cool the house. Uh, it means more money to maintain and clean the house and keep all the stuff. You know, what I'm t- you know what I'm saying? And pretty soon the stuff that we just had to have is now we don't own it. It's almost like it owns us. And we have to keep going and investing and doing more and doing this and doing that and keep, keep putting more and more money into this and more and more time to make the money. To, and we constantly do this all the time. We all do this, right? With houses, with cars, with RVs, with boats, with clothes, with 
tools, with, have I stepped on everybody's toes yet? And did I miss anybody? Yeah, can I? We all do this, right? We all have our stuff that we pull together, and we're like, I gotta have this, and then we have it, and then we gotta figure out what to do with it. Now I have to store it. Now I have to maintain it. Now I have to clean it. Now I have to fix it when it breaks. Now I have to rearrange it and worry over it and replace it when it finally gives out. And because I can't live without it now, we've had it for all this time, right? So our dishwasher went out like two weeks ago and it's like, it's like right before Thanksgiving. And I called and they're like, we can get a guy to fix it. We'll fix it for free, but it's gonna be the day after Thanksgiving. Are you serious right now? We have to do dishes by hand? Are this, is this the stone ages? Like what is going on? We get this, right? We, we get all the stuff and we're like, what is, how are we gonna live without this stuff? I did a little research this week. Did you know that the personal storage industry, you know, like when you can like go and buy a storage space to put your stuff in, personal storage industry has 2.3 billion square feet of storage in the United States. 2.3 billion square feet of storage to put all the stuff that we don't have room to put in our normal space. That we're not even using frequently enough to have in our house, that we have to put it somewhere else where we go and get it once a year to use it because we can't live without it. $38 billion a year is the gross income for personal storage. We spend $38 billion a year to store the stuff that we just have to have. We have so much stuff, we have to buy extra space to put it in. The average American shops six hours a week and only plays with their children 40 minutes. That's probably higher this week, you think? Right? Some of y'all like camping out all night to get the DVD player from Best Buy or whatever, right? Why do we do this? Why do we feel compelled to get the stuff? And I need this and I need that and I, I got to build up the treasures around me. And it's not just the stuff. It then plays into the rest of our lifestyle. It starts running our lives for us. Then I, I feel like I, every time the boss offers overtime on the weekend, I have to take it because that's more money to handle all the stuff we have. Right? It doesn't matter that's taking me out of church and taking away from my church family and, and my worship of the Lord and being in his presence. I've got to take it because it's there and that's more money. Why do we feel like we have to max out our budget and have every penny spent so we don't have any space to give to the Lord or to give to the person who comes across our path who's really in need? And I would love to help you, but I maxed out my budget this month. I don't have anything else to give you. Why do we have to buy the new iPhone even though ours works fine? That was me this week. Like I, Courtney had to like talk me off the ledge because they were running a Christmas deal on the new iPhone. Like we can get new phones. It's only like 35 more bucks a month. Like we can do this. And she's like, we don't need them. We've got some. They're fine. You're right. Okay. I, I do it too. We all do it. Why don't we have to spend gobs of money on the weekend getaway place or the weekend hobby or thing that we know it's going to be fun. That means I'm going to start missing church on Sundays. I'm like, I'm only missing one Sunday a month. You know, we only go up there one Sunday a month. Yeah, okay. If you do that year round, add it up. You miss church three months a year by being gone one Sunday a month. Three months that you're not in the, in the presence of Jesus and, and in corporate worship, that you're not meeting with the family of God to raise high the name of Jesus Christ. 
they seem like little small things. But as they start to add up, as they start to build up, they show where our heart really is and what we're really pursuing. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt you here. I'm not trying to browbeat you. I'm not telling you to go sell all your stuff and join a commune. Okay, that's not where this message is going, uh, just in case you were wondering. Um, it's not wrong to have stuff. Please hear me. Listen, it is not wrong to have stuff. The problem is when the stuff has you. And we all have to watch out for that. It's easy to slip into that. Whatever my hands are busy doing is what my heart is going to be pursuing. It's what, it's what my heart's gonna, it's gonna be impacted. My hands impact my heart. And as I'm doing this, as I'm doing this, I'm pursuing this and gaining this and it impacts what my heart is feeling about those things and about the Lord. So here's the application for this one. What my hand grips most tightly my heart will value most highly. Whatever my hands grip most tightly, whatever I'm holding on to the most, whatever I have to have, what I can't live without, what I can't let go, that is going to be what my heart values the most. So investing means to stop prioritizing our possessions. Point number two, look at verse 22, back in the text. Jesus goes on, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here's point number two. Investing means to stop critical comparison. Investing means to stop critical comparison. It's kind of interesting here. Jesus, all of a sudden, it almost feels like he flips topics, right? Like, we have this conversation in our house all the time because I live with um, four girls, and so we'll be talking about one thing, and all of a sudden, they're talking about something else. I'm like, did we change topics? Like, what just happened here? They're like, no, no, it's connected. I'm like, yeah, I don't see it. Um, so it feels like Jesus almost flipped topics here for a second, but he actually hasn't. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, right? What does a lamp do? A lamp gives off light, right? It lights up darkness, and so if the eye is the lamp for our body, if the eye is healthy or good, a healthy lamp is going to be one that's full of light, right? And so as our eye is healthy, it allows light to come into our body, into our heart, into our mind, so that we can see clearly what is truth, right? Light, you ever been in the darkness and you, you see something like, I'm pretty sure that's that, and the light comes on, like, oh, that's not what I thought that was, right? Like when the light's there, you can see clearly what it is. He says, but if the eye is bad, if it's full of darkness, not full of light, that would be a bad lamp, right? If it was dark instead of light. If it's full of darkness, then we're blind to the truth. We can't see what is real and what is not real, what is true and what is not true. So he says, if, 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 and if the eye is, dark, is, is bad and full of darkness, he says, if the light is darkness, what? Can light be darkness? I don't even think that's a thing. Isn't light, like light the opposite of darkness? I don't, think you can, I don't think light can be darkness. So what's he talking about here? I think what he's talking about is this. We all have this experience, right? Where, like you, you, you go from a room that's all lit up to like this like dark room. Like you open the door and you walk into like a dark room. And when you first walk in, you can't see anything, right? Because you just came out of the light and your eyes are all like weird out and it's just, it's just complete like darkness. But if you stand there for a few seconds or a minute, what happens? Your eyes adjust. 
And all of a sudden, if you stand there long enough in the darkness, your eyes will actually start to take just the little bits of light that are coming through the windows or off of the fire you know, alarm or whatever the thing is, and you'll be able to see a lot better. And what he's saying is if you're living in darkness with just a little shimmer of light, your eyes will adjust and start to believe that that is light when it's actually darkness. That what you think you can see, what you think is normal, and the way that you start to function in your body and your mind and your heart, they adjust to function like this is just the status quo. This is just how it is. This is the amount of light that I have, and I just got to work with it. He's saying, actually, it's not light at all. It's darkness. But you just get used to living like that. And he says, if the light is darkness, how great is the darkness? How great meaning how bad, how deep, how strong is the darkness in your life when you think that it's light? You're not even aware of what it really is and what it isn't because you can't see clearly because the eye is bad and there's no light coming in. And what you think is true isn't true. And what you think is clear isn't clear. And this is how we get sucked in to all this stuff. The human eye is, is an amazing creation. Many say that it's the most complex part of the human body, if not one of the most complex machines in all of creation in general. Um, it's very complex. It, it has all these little intricacies to it. It uses light for us to be able to see images. It can distinguish and differentiate between 10 million different colors, right? I think that might be the female eye. The guy's eye is like, yeah, that's just blue. I don't, I don't know. But, but suppose they can difference between 10 million different colors, right? Um, it can detect a single photon of light in the midst of darkness. It's a very complex piece of the human body. It's also very sensitive. As we just talked about, you can, when you walk into a dark room, even the slightest change in light or imagery gets the attention of the eye. And over time, it will adjust to either too much light or too little light. And like when you walk outside for the first time in the morning and the sun hits you and you're like, whoa, I need the sunglasses, right? Like it's because your eyes are so sensitive, they've adjusted to whatever light's in the room. And they're also essential. Have you ever been without your eyesight? Right? Like maybe your glasses broke or something happened and you lost, you know, it was all blurry for a couple days. Like you talk to anybody who's lost their eyesight, even for a day or two, and they will tell you it is essential to our functioning in life. It is very, very hard to function without your eyesight. And because of all this, the eye is constantly feeding our brains information, right? It's, it's just constantly, we don't even, are not even aware of how much our brain registers coming out of our eyes. It sees all this stuff and just brings it in, both the good and the bad. It takes in all this information. And the way that our brain understands everything it's seen and makes sense of all the stimuli is through comparison. Our brain is constantly comparing this thing to that thing to that thing and that light to this light. And it's, it's comparing all the stimuli coming in to determine for our brain what's important and what's not important. What do I pay attention to? What do I not pay attention to? And that's great. That's the way that God designed us. But oftentimes because we're human and because our brains continue to function even outside of our own consciousness, we start to take that comparison beyond just stimuli to other parts of life. And we start comparing not just the stuff around us, but we start comparing people and jobs and 
homes and cars and families, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you've seen, you've seen the social media. Like you were looking, you were looking at pictures yesterday from Thanksgiving. You're like, man, look at that, look at turkey they had. I'm going to their house next year, right? Like our turkey didn't look like that turkey. And so we do this all the time. We're comparing and we're comparing. And, and what's interesting is we're always comparing with the one that has it better than we have it. Have you noticed that? So I was like, oh man, if I just had that car, if I just had that job, if I just had that family, I mean, look at those pictures. They had amazing pictures, right? Like if I just had that life instead of my life, then everything would be good. Then everything would be better, right? If I could just have that. Interestingly, we never seem to compare ourselves to the people who maybe are struggling a little bit more than we are. Ones, the ones that maybe looking at them saying, man, I didn't even know that that was going on. And when we're looking at the side over here that's, that we think is better than us, that, that we think they have it better off than us, it creates the self-talk of I, I want, I, I need, I deserve. Like I, I, this, I need something over here on this side, right? But if we were willing to take our eyes off of that and maybe look at those who are less fortunate or struggling more or having some issues that maybe we're not having at the moment, it would change the self-talk to, wow, look what I have. Look at how blessed I am by the Lord. Look at how maybe I can help them. You guys all know what a DVR is, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, DVR? DVR is one of the best things that ever happened to my soul. Let me explain. Years ago, Courtney and I first got married, and this is like before they gave you a DVR with like your cable package and your disc package. Like they weren't doing that stuff yet, right? Everybody saw like the VCRs going on, you know what I'm talking about, right? You had to, never mind. Okay, so, but I decided, man, we need this thing. And so I bought us a TiVo. You remember the TiVos, like when they first came out, like before everybody else had like the, the, the built-in DVRs. So we, had, we bought this TiVo, and we set up, and the, and the big selling point for TiVo was that you could pause live TV, right? So you didn't have to miss a play, you didn't have to miss a scene, you'd be like, you know, you got to carry in the groceries, all right, just hit play and go carry the groceries in, and then you go back to the show. And, but that wasn't my favorite part. What, what was amazing to me, what, what, what's, what made it so impactful for my soul, and I mean that literally, was being able to fast forward and skip the commercials. Hallelujah. Right? And it's not because they're just annoying. All right? It's not just because I don't want to be interrupted in my show. It's because as we started to do that, as we stopped watching commercials, pretty soon I stopped thinking that all the stuff I had was trash and everything I needed was the new stuff. Because I didn't have these constant barrage of ads and marketing saying, oh, that's not good enough and you need this and upgrade that and upgrade this. And, and pretty soon all the discontent that I felt with my stuff started to dissipate. And I started to realize, man, what we have is pretty good. I didn't have this constant message of you need more and you need the next thing and this and that and blah, blah, blah. I felt happy. I felt like, man, what we already have is pretty good. I stopped comparing my current life to the one that the ad said would make me happier. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've done, you've done it with ads, you've done it with social media, right? 
Like you're looking at everybody's stuff and you're like, man, if I just had what they had, if it just looked like that. And all of a sudden, my house and my car and my outfit doesn't look so hot anymore because I'm seeing their stuff. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? It's because of comparison. Our eyes are telling our brain, man, there's something better out there. If you could just get that, then you'll be happier. Then you'll be satisfied. And we've all chased that unicorn before, and we finally get it, and guess what? It lasts for like a day, and then we're soured on that, and we're ready for the next thing. And it never makes us happier, and it never fulfills us, and it never satisfies, because we're chasing earthly treasure that Jesus tells us it's just going to rust and get destroyed and get stolen, and it's not going to fulfill you. As I start to compare all this stuff, it leads to a greedy head, which leads to a greedy heart. But as I start to realize, to peel myself away from that, and maybe if I'm going to compare, compare myself to what I have versus what I don't have, then that creates a grateful head, which leads to a generous heart. And that's the space Jesus wants us in. Right? If the lamp is good, if you can see clearly how much you're blessed and how well God has provided for you and all that he's doing for you, then you start to see things differently. You start to be grateful and generous rather than I need the next thing and always looking to upgrade. What my head believes is true determines what my heart will pursue. It's all about what you allow your head to believe. Right? It's not just the hands that impact the heart. The head impacts the heart. And as I'm looking at truth, I need to understand what's true and what's not according to God's word and according to, to God's um, teaching and according to, 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 the, to the Holy Spirit and not just what the greatest marketing firm tells me or what the social media pictures tell me. I have to figure out what's really true so my heart can pursue that. Last thing today, look at verse 24. Jesus ends it right here. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Last point is this. Investing means to stop devotion division. Investing means to stop devotion division. He says, listen, you cannot serve, no one can serve two masters masters. Now, the, the language here is very important, because when he talks about serving a master, he's literally using the analogy now of slavery, okay? So he's changed analogies again. Now he's talking about slavery. He's not talking about, like, having two jobs and two bosses. I know a lot of you might work two jobs, or you have two bosses for some reason, or for a season, or whatever. That's not the same thing, right? That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about slavery, having two masters. And in slavery, when a slave owner owns you, they own all of you. Right? They own your life, your rights, your abilities, your devotion. They own, they, it's all of it. They, you don't get to go and serve another person or another master. There's not two. They're not sharing you with anybody. There's one. And he says here that if you have two slave owners, that you're going to be loved and devoted to one. Because right? whenever you have love and devotion, when you're following someone, there's a singular focus there. He says, if you have uh, love and devotion for one, you're going to hate and despise the other. Why? 
because the second master is taking you away from the first one that you really love. I see this often when I get into the counseling room with couples where one spouse or the other, usually the husband, but it's not always that way, one spouse or the other is so invested at work and they're so pouring into their career and they're so chasing the corporate ladder that they're putting their spouse second. And the devotion and the love that they're supposed to have for their spouse has now been stolen by a second master and they come to hate and despise each other. The wife because the husband's chasing the career and the husband because the wife's trying to hold him back. Because the devotion has shifted to a different master. I remember when I first got into ministry, this was a, a, a recurring conversation that Courtney and I would have because she was always worried that knowing me and knowing my heart and knowing how I'm driven uh, with things that I would run hard after ministry and I would leave her and the girls behind. And I'm constantly checking that and we're constantly having that conversation because I don't want to be serving a pseudo master over here. That's not what God's called me to. Jesus is saying the same thing here with him and money. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Money there, the word for money in the Greek is mammon, which literally means wealth. So he's not talking about just cash, right? He's talking about all wealth, all finances. That talks about all your stuff, all your money, all your bank accounts, all of it. He says, you can't serve God and money. It's not possible. One will always force out the other. When I was studying, I found this quote from D.A. Carson I thought was really helpful here. He said, you cannot serve two slave owners. Either God is served with a single-eyed devotion or he is not served at all. Listen to that again. Either God is served with a single-eyed devotion or he is not served at all. Attempts at divided loyalty betray not partial commitment to discipleship, but deep-seated commitment to idolatry. See, he's drawing it back to what it really is. Ultimately, this isn't a money issue. This is a worship issue. This is a matter of what is pin ultimate in your heart. What are you worshiping? What are you running after? Do you love God more or do you love money more? The one you hold on to, the one that you pursue, the one that you admire, the one that you fix your eyes on, that is the one that you are loved and devoted to the most. One pastor friend of mine said it like this. We need to use money to love God, not use God to love money. I fear that too often, especially the American church has used God to love money, to run after that, to pursue that, to use God as a token that helps me make my life better. That's not what it's about. It's about us using what God has given us, his generous provision in our lives to love him more, to raise him up, to worship and glorify the one that is the name above all names.
Loving God with your money means investing in his kingdom and your eternity. Loving God with our money, not serving it, not glorifying it, not worshiping it, worshiping God and using it for his glory means investing in his kingdom and your eternity, not in a temporary treasure here and now. As I said at the beginning, don't miss the limited opportunity to invest in your future in eternity. It's an investment. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much uh, for our time here together today. Lord, thank you for the power of your word. Lord, the way that you, you press into our hearts on, on issues and topics, Lord, that are oftentimes uncomfortable for us, Lord, but are so, so necessary if we're going to follow you and to, to honor you and glorify you the way that you've called us to do, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, that you would take this message today, that you would, uh, that you would drive it down deep into our hearts. And as we prepare to celebrate uh, the birth of your son, Lord, that, um, and all that that represents, Lord, that we would grow to be more and more generous and more and more selfless, just like you. And, um, Lord, giving of your son is such a, a great example for us that we can invest in powerful ways. We want to invest in your kingdom, Lord. We want to invest in you and in your glory, not our own. Lord, and tune our hearts to that. Thank you, Lord, so much for all that you're doing in and through our church and for all these new Harvest family members. And, uh, Lord, we are excited, Lord, to just continue to worship and, and praise your name as we move into the Christmas season. For all these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. You are loved.